Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. The Bible is filled with a lot of interesting, fascinating people. Some of them are ordinary, quite ordinary folks living their daily lives when God touches them and calls them to special service. Others from birth were destined to be servants of the Lord. Jeremiah from his, womb, from his mother's womb was called of God to be uh, a vessel uh, for the Lord's uh, work. Others uh, along that same line. I don't know if, if in reading scripture you ever put your place in their sandals uh, and think about what it would be like if you had been that person. What would, have it, what would it have been like to have been Noah and for God to speak to you and say, out of all of the people that I have seen on the earth, you are the one righteous individual and I want you to be responsible for saving the human race because I'm going to destroy the earth by a flood. What would it have been like for you to be living your life down in Ur of Chaldea, doing your thing, when God speaks to your heart and says, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your home, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you, and you're going to be the father of many nations. And you will specifically be the father of my chosen people. Or what about David? You're a young teenager, doing your thing as a young teenager, out taking care of dad's sheep. Your older brothers, you know, they pick on you quite a bit like older brothers do. Um, but you're content to be out there alone with God out with the sheep, taking care of dad's business. And you hear that the enemies of God have raised up an army and now they have mobilized against the people of God, the army of God, and God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to go out and visit your brothers, take them some lunch. And you hear this giant, this nine-foot man bellowing like a wounded bull out in the middle of the meadow and defying God and calling upon the army of God to come out and to try to defeat him. And you hear the voice of God stirring in your spirit. I want you to go out there and I want you to stand against that giant. Or maybe you're a young maiden at home. 14, 15 years old. And you're doing what young maidens do at the time. And God sends an angel who says to you, God has highly favored you, and God has blessed you with grace, and He has chosen you to be the mother of His Son, the Christ. What would it have been like to have been the prophet 
Jonah. God calls you one day to leave your pulpit in your local church and to travel a number of miles away to a city of about 500,000 people, all of them pagan, all of them godless, all of them, as far as you're concerned, to be written off and to be condemned by God and destroyed. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to preach the good news to those people. How would you have felt? Would you have run away from God like Jonah did? And if you had gone and obeyed the Lord and preached to that city and the entire city came to faith in the Lord God, repented of sin and turned to the Lord God, how would that have stirred your spirit? A number of intriguing people in Scripture. I want to focus our attention this morning on someone who is an unsung hero, someone who is not a prominent figure in our uh, Bible studies or in our preaching, and you'll find his story in Acts chapter 9, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. His story is a story that all of us can emulate in our own lives. He is the kind of individual that all of us can be, and God's calling upon his life can be the same calling upon your life. It is God's calling to all Christians to be like Ananias. In Acts chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18, but I want to go back to verse 1 and catch a bit of the context to the story of this man called Ananias. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked for letters from, from him to, excuse me, asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he, couldn't, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. 
or here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. We ask his blessing upon the study of his word. The conversion of Saul is a well-known story in Scripture. It is dramatic, it is profound, and it was certainly life-changing for Saul and for the Christian church. But my focus this morning is not on Saul, who is later known as the Apostle Paul, but upon Ananias, the man who first discipled Saul in the Christian faith. Now, there's not much said about Ananias in Scripture. In fact, the passage that we just read and then Acts chapter 22 verse 12 are the only mention of this man, Ananias. But what we do know about him is a testimony to all of us of genuine Christian faith. And I want to explore that kind of faith that Ananias had that should be the kind of faith that you and I have today by examining three lessons to be learned from this very brief window into the life of this virtual unknown man called Ananias. The first lesson is this. Be faithful to the Lord in your everyday life. Every day of your life. Be faithful to the Lord in your everyday life, every day of your life. The second lesson is to be available to the Lord in all that he asks you to do. Be faithful to the Lord in all that he asks you to do. And the third lesson is to be teachable to new experiences in your Christian faith. Be open for the Lord to teach you new experiences 
as you grow in your Christian faith. Now, there are three individuals in the New Testament named Ananias. In Acts chapter 5, we read of a man named Ananias whose wife was named Sapphira. And together, they lied to the apostles about money that they had promised to give to the church in Jerusalem. And because of their sin, the Holy Spirit took their lives immediately. They lied to the men of God, which meant they were lying to God, and immediately the Holy Spirit struck them dead. In Acts chapter 23 and 24, there is a man named Ananias, and he was high priest in Jerusalem uh, when the apostle Paul was finishing up his third missionary journey. And after his third missionary journey, the apostle Paul went down into Jerusalem to visit the brethren down there, and there was a ruckus, as there always was wherever Paul went, there was a ruckus that arose among the Jews, and they brought him before the council, the Sanhedrin. And the high priest, Ananias, was there, and in the course of Paul's explanation of who he was and what his ministry was, uh, he was oppressed and persecuted then by the high priest named Ananias. So those are the two other men named Ananias. Here in Acts chapter 9 is a man named Ananias who was a Jewish convert to Christianity. And he was also one of the leaders of the Christian church in the city of Damascus. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, the Bible tells us that Ananias was a man who was devout by the standard of the law. And he was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. So even though Ananias was a Jew and a Christian, he held the respect of both communities in Damascus. Now, about five years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, that was around AD 30, persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And this persecution was led primarily by the Jewish elders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And as a result of the persecution, Christians began to leave the city. Some went down to Alexandria and Egypt. Some went to the east uh, into Arabia. Some went north. And we find a large group of Christians going north about 135 miles from Jerusalem to the city of Damascus where they would find safe haven there. And at that time, there was a large Jewish community in the city of Damascus numbering about 10,000 people. About 10,000 Jewish people lived in the city of Damascus. Well, as we've read, there was a young man by the name of Saul who was born in Tarsus uh, of Cilicia, but was raised in Jerusalem. And he was raised to be a very devout Jewish boy. He studied the law. 
He studied the traditions of the Jewish people, the ceremonies, the history, uh, all that there was to study about the Jewish people. And he gained the approval of the Pharisaic sect in Jerusalem. They called him in and started to groom him to be one of them. And quite frankly, Paul was, or Saul, was looked upon as being one of the members, one of the new members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Jerusalem. But at this particular time in Acts chapter 9, we find this young man Saul became a chief prosecutor and persecutor of the Christian church in Jerusalem. He had gone into the council, the Sanhedrin, and he asked if he might be able to go up north to Damascus and to find the Christians that were living there, to arrest them, and to bring them back down to Jerusalem to stand trial. And the council approved and gave him letters of approval to go on up into Damascus and to... Uh, arrest these Christians for trial, for torture, and for imprisonment, and even for execution. Saul hated Christians. He despised Christians. He believed them to be the worst kind of heretic. Because many who were Christians in that day had formerly been uh, devout Jewish people. And they had abandoned their Jewish faith to follow this heretic called Jesus. And so Saul had only one passion toward these Christians, and that was to seek them out and to destroy them. His zeal for persecuting Christians became very much... Um, the talk of the town. He was very well known uh, in the area. The Jews admired him. The Romans respected him. But the Christians feared him because they knew what he was capable of doing. And that brings me to lesson one. Be faithful to the Lord. In your everyday life, every day of your life. Be faithful to the Lord in your everyday life, every day of your life. Now, as I said, this is not really about Saul, it's about Ananias, and so here's where we plug into Ananias. About a year into this persecution that was raging through Jerusalem. Saul was given orders to go and arrest Christians in Damascus, as I had stated. This was one of the ten cities of the Decapolis of the north. No doubt, Ananias was aware that Saul was on his way to the city. And no doubt, Ananias understood that he was one of Saul's primary targets because he was a leader of the Christian church in Damascus. And so he believed that he was going to be sought out by Saul, arrested by Saul, and maybe even killed by Saul. But unlike the Christians who fled, 
under the persecution of the Jewish elders in Jerusalem, Ananias stayed where he was. He didn't leave the city. He stayed to minister to the church that was there. Why was that? Why would Ananias, who knew that he was going to be the target of this man Saul, who meant business when it came to the matters of persecuting Christians, why would he choose to stay in the city of Damascus rather than flee to another place? Well, look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. In verse 10, we're told that Ananias was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if Ananias had lived in Judea and had become a Christian in the days of Jesus and then fled to Damascus uh, after the martyrdom of Stephen in AD 30. Don't know if that's uh, the, the history of Ananias, Scripture doesn't say, but I believe more likely that he had lived in Damascus and had become a Christian with the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, remained in Jerusalem for a while to be discipled by the apostles and then returned to Damascus after his initial discipleship had taken place. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, we're told that he was a devout man according to the standard of the law. This means that he was spiritually disciplined in the law. He was very careful in the ways of the Lord in every area of his life. It tells me that Ananias was not an individual that would... Uh, be so fearful that he would run from a man like Saul. He was aware of what it would cost him should he face Saul, but he was not an individual who would be shaken to the point that he would flee from a man like Saul. Now, an individual who is disciplined in the faith, an individual who is very careful to honor the Lord God in every area of his life, the Bible calls that individual circumspect. The Bible calls that individual circumspect. Porter Black, my pastor, when I was probably 13, 14 years old at the Evening Shade Baptist Church just outside of Waldron, Arkansas. Porter Black used to say that, and he was just an old country preacher, he used to say that to be circumspect is to be like a one-eyed cat with a gimp leg walking a split rail fence with a bulldog on either side. You're very careful how you walk in life. Evening shade, yes. You got it right. It was a small church. I, when I was a teenager, I thought it was a fairly large church. A number of years ago, I went back to visit Evening Shade, and some of my old friends were there, and I walked in, and there was the sanctuary, and there were only four pews in the sanctuary, two on this side of the aisle, two on that side of the aisle. That was it. Evening Shade, Baptist Church. 
circumspect, cautious in how you live your Christian life, always seeking to honor the Lord in every area of your life. Ananias was that kind of Christian, and we know that he was that kind of Christian because he was respected not only by the Christian community, but also by the Jewish community in Damascus. And so he stays where he's at. He does not ducktail and run. I'm sure he spent much of the time praying to the Lord as to what he should do when Saul entered the city. Well, now here is Saul and his men. They're almost to the city of Damascus. They can see the walled city ahead of them. They could see the gates that enter into the city. Suddenly there is a blinding light that shines from heaven and it knocks Saul to the ground. And the voice of the resurrected Lord says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's a very insightful word from the Lord that we need to remember, brothers and sisters. Anytime you stand opposed to the people of God, you stand opposed to the Lord God himself. Anytime you criticize or condemn a man of God or a woman of God, you're condemning and criticizing the Lord himself. Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't know Jesus, never met him. But Saul was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, I take that personally. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? And the Lord responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, get up. And go into the city and it will be told you what I want you to do. At that moment, Saul surrendered to the Lord, obeyed the Lord, and I believe at that moment he was saved. Because he got up and he had his men lead him on into the city. And he found himself in the house of one named Judas where he waited for three days fasting and in prayer. Now, Ananias knew that Saul was coming. It had been rumored, word had gotten to him that Saul was on his way. But he was unaware of all of these events that had taken place in Saul's journey to Damascus. Still, he didn't panic. He remained faithful, trusting the Lord each and every moment of the day until Saul arrived. And that brings me to lesson two. Lesson two, be available to the Lord in all that he asks you to do. Be available to the Lord in all that he asks you to do. Now this is a very important lesson for us today. It's a very important lesson for us because I fear that For the most part, people have a tendency of putting God in a box of their own making. They put God in a box, and they believe that there are only certain ways in which God can communicate to them. 
There are only certain ways in which the Lord would have us to minister to people. And there are only certain people that the Lord would have us minister to. And so we put conditions upon uh, our ministry. We'll only go certain places. We'll only minister, minister to certain people. We'll only go so far. God will call us to go and to minister, to share the gospel with this person. Oh, Lord, I can't do that, you know, like Moses. You know, I'm not eloquent of speech, and, and I can't go and, and tell that individual the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not trained, and I'm not well-versed in Scripture. You need, to, you need to call on somebody else. Or God will call us to go and to be a missionary to some area that uh, may, uh, may, where Christianity may be outlawed. Oh, Lord, I can't do that. You know, I've got a family I've got to take care of. And, and, you know, I've got a business that I've got to take care of. And certainly, Lord, you don't want me to go to a country where Christianity is outlawed and risk my life. Sometimes we put God in a box. And we want to be able to dictate to the Lord what we can and cannot do, what we will or will not do, where we will or will not go. But God is not confined to any box of our own making. He's not restricted in speaking. He's not restricted in leading. And He's not restricted in ministering to and through us to other individuals. Note verse 10. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Ananias in a vision. Now a vision... A vision in the Bible is an audio and visual means uh, that God uses to communicate to us. It's very um, popular in Scripture, not so much popular anymore because of the advent of the Holy Spirit. But this idea of, of this event of a vision uh, is often uh, audio where we hear the voice of God. Sometimes it's visual where we see the Lord God. Of course, it wasn't visual to the Apostle Paul because he couldn't see the Lord, even even though the Lord spoke to him. But Ananias received vision from the Lord. And the Lord said to him in this vision, note verse 10, Ananias, get up and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now here you are, Ananias, and you're probably in your home, and you're praying, God, what is it that I am supposed to do when Saul hits town? God, am I supposed to run? Am I supposed to stay? God, how am I supposed to minister to uh, the Christians here in the city uh, when Saul um, presents his letters of commendation from the Pharisees from the Sanhedrin? And God speaks to him and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the house of Judas because Saul is waiting there for you. And I want you to go and minister to him. Interesting. God does not tell Ananias all of the events of Saul's journey. He just says, Saul is waiting there for you. He's praying there. And I want you to go and I want you to minister to him. What would you have done? 
if you were in Ananias' sandals? What would you have done had you been sitting in the chair in the house of Ananias? I believe it was a frightening thing. It was a frightening thing for Ananias, but it is what God wanted him to do. And it's what God wanted to happen. Not only to Ananias, but also to Saul. Now, I want to I back up just a little bit. I find it interesting. I find it interesting, fascinating, if you will, the preparation of Ananias for ministry to Saul and how it parallels Peter's preparation for ministry to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. We're not going to go back and read Acts chapter 10, but bear in mind Peter's ministry to Cornelius and put it up there against Ananias' ministry to Saul. The Lord appeared to Peter in a vision and told him to go and minister to Cornelius, but Peter didn't want to go. He questioned God because Cornelius was a Gentile and a Roman. And Peter didn't want to have anything to do with Gentiles, especially Romans, especially a centurion, a Roman soldier. That was a dangerous thing to do when you're a Christian in that day and time. The Lord appeared to Ananias in a vision and told him to go and minister to Saul of Tarsus. Ananias didn't want to go. And he questioned God because Saul was a Jewish zealot and a henchman for the Sanhedrin sent to kill him. Peter was afraid of befriending a Gentile. Ananias was afraid of encountering the archenemy of Jesus Christ and his church. But when God made his will perfectly clear, both men obeyed with no further doubt or hesitation. When Peter found Cornelius, he was sitting in the house waiting patiently for the man of God to come and minister to him. When Ananias found Saul, he was sitting in the house waiting patiently for the man of God to come minister to him. Now we need to bear that in mind, friends. We need to think about that quite a bit. We need to understand how God works in evangelism. We'll get to that in a minute. When Peter ministered to Cornelius, his eyes were opened to the gospel of salvation. Cornelius was saved, his family was saved, and they were all baptized. When Ananias ministered to Saul, his eyes were opened to the future of his ministry in the gospel. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was also baptized. Now again, I find these parallels fascinating. But this is how the Lord works. This is why we can't put God in a box. This is why we cannot anticipate what God is going to say and what God is going to do. We can only know for sure how the Lord would have us minister when God reveals that to us. 
When the Holy Spirit of God moves within us and leads us and then opens our mouths and speaks through us to those he, he would have us minister to. God works in unexpected ways and to unexpected people, but he always accomplishes his expected will, and that is the salvation and discipling of souls in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, I find another intriguing matter here in the book of Acts, and it has to do with evangelism. It has to do with evangelism. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples uh, who were waiting in the upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit did come and empowered them to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ, which was to make, to mark, and to mature disciples in the kingdom of God. At the celebration of Pentecost, which was a week-long celebration, at the celebration of Pentecost, there were tens of thousands of Jewish people from all over the known world that had come into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Peter stood up and preached the gospel. And that day, 3,000 souls were saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Then Philip went to Samaria, where many people were saved as the result of the preaching of Philip. Other events like this took place in the book of Acts. We call this mass evangelism. It's what the great evangelical crusades were modeled after. Some of us we're saved at some of these kinds of crusades, maybe a, a Billy Graham crusade, maybe a, a Luis Palau crusade, maybe a crusade headed up by Greg Laurie or some other individual. We were there with hundreds of other people. We heard the gospel and we were saved at the same time dozens of other individuals, maybe even hundreds of other individuals were saved. Mass evangelism. But not long after Pentecost, there was another model of evangelism that took place. As we go ahead and read through the book of Acts, we find that a beggar was saved by the witness of Peter and of John. Then the Ethiopian eunuch was saved by the witness of Philip. Saul was saved, as we just read. Saul was saved by the witness of the resurrected Jesus. Aeneas the paralytic was saved by the witness of Peter, as was Cornelius and his family. This is called one-to-one -one evangelism or person-to-person -person evangelism. A number of years ago, and Pastor Powell, uh, his memory is better than mine, uh, Pastor Powell remembered it to be somewhere around 1994. Eddie Steedle, who was a member of our church, Eddie Steedle and I spent a week up in Paradise, California, training to lead evangelism explosion here in our church. The method of evangelism taught at that conference was called divine appointments. Divine appointments. The method was nothing new to me because I had been trained by my father and my mother when I was a young boy to be able to go and to talk to people one-on-one -on -one about being saved. But I didn't know that's what it was called. I knew what it was, but I didn't know that's what it was called.
And you see divine appointments in the book of Acts. After Acts chapter 2, you see that taking place time and time again. A Christian is led to a person whom the Holy Spirit has prepared to hear the gospel. You go and you share that gospel with that individual and the individual is saved. That's a divine appointment. God has prepared a person to hear the gospel through his Holy Spirit and he leads you to that person to be the mouthpiece of God to the salvation of that soul. Down through the years, we've seen both models of evangelism in our personal experiences as well as in this church. Both methods of evangelism are successful and are powerful and are productive when led by the Holy Spirit of God. Which brings me to my third lesson this morning, and that is be teachable to new experiences in Christian faith. Be teachable to new experiences in your Christian faith. Even though he was a leader of the Christian church in Damascus, Ananias was still a learner in the ways of the Christian faith. He had to be taught certain valuable lessons, just like you and I need to be taught certain valuable lessons as we grow and develop in our Christian faith. Let me give you just a few. Number one, the first lesson that Ananias had to learn, and it's a lesson that you and I have to learn, and some of us have been Christians for a long, long time, but it's a lesson that we haven't quite gotten uh, uh, a handle on yet, and that is that Jesus Christ is sovereign over his gospel and his church. Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of the gospel and of his church. He is the head of the church and we are the body of Christ. As the Lord of the church and as your personal Lord, if you are a Christian, he has the authority and he has the right to call us to minister in whatever capacity he desires us to minister in order to accomplish his will and purpose, not our will and purpose. And that's a very important lesson to learn. Whatever the Lord would have us do, as our Lord, that's what it is we're supposed to do. And we can be like Moses when God says, I want you to go down into Egypt. I want you to confront Pharaoh and I want you to secure the release of my people. We can be like Moses and say, I can't talk. Who am I to go and stand before the most powerful man in all of the world and speak to him about releasing your people? Or we can be like a Jonah. And we can say, as the Lord leads us to this group of people or to that group of people, I want you to go and I want you to share the gospel. Well, Lord, those are undesirables. Lord, those are pagans. Lord, I don't need to go. You know, you know they're not Jews and I don't care anything about them. You need to write those people off. And so we turn and we run the opposite direction. No. 
We've got to come to terms with the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to go where he wants us to go. We need to do what he wants us to do. We need to minister in the, in the ways that he would have us minister to those individuals to whom he would have us minister. He is the sovereign Lord over his gospel and his church. For some, ministry follows the pattern of the Apostle Paul. Not all of us can be like the Apostle Paul. And some of your wives, thank God for that. But some of us, God would have us to model our personal ministry after the Apostle Paul. He was out on the front lines of evangelism and missionary service. He brought many people to faith in Jesus Christ. He started churches everywhere that he went. He defended the faith in the face of those who were antagonistic toward the gospel. And God may call you to be like an Apostle Paul. For others, ministry follows the pattern of the Apostle Barnabas. We're called to support the work of those who give their lives in vocational ministry, praying for them, encouraging them, counseling with them, even protecting them as they lay down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then for others, your ministry may follow the pattern of Ananias, discipling new converts in the faith, teaching them the Word of God, helping them to adjust and to assimilate into the body of Christ, and providing for them a launch pad for the work of the Holy Spirit to be, to be performed in them and through them to others. Whatever the Holy Spirit gifts you to do, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit of God has gifted you to do, learn that ministry well in order to bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another lesson that we need to learn is that sometimes the places that the Lord sends us look hopeless or look dangerous to us. Yet we need to remember that if it is the Lord who has sent us there, then we need to do whatever it is He desires us to do, knowing that He will see us through the situation. Our part is to simply obey the Lord in exactly what He calls us to do. Not a thousand years ago or a million miles away, I was pastoring a church. And uh, after the morning service, one of the elderly men in the church came up to me and said, Pastor, you know, I was moved by the sermon that you preached, which is very rare. And so I want us, he said, let's go out, you and I, let's go out and, and let's, let's talk to people about Jesus this afternoon. And I said, all right, Al, his name was Al Moore, all right, Al, let's go. And wouldn't you know it, right outside the church, we were on kind of the, the other side of the tracks in this town, not on a good side of town. We walked out the front door of the church and he said, let's go over here and talk to these people. Well, uh, I looked over there and here was a group of bikers. 
and they were having a picnic under a tree. And they were all dressed out in their colors and their Harleys were all gathered around there and they had beards and long hair, some in ponytails, some this, that, and the other, you know. And they were laughing and they were having a great time. And I looked at Al and I said, are you sure about this? And he said, yeah. He says, I feel like the Lord wants us to go and just minister to these guys. And I said, okay, go ahead. And so we walked together over to this group. And Al, he didn't bat an eye. Bless his heart. He must have been in his late 70s at that time. He didn't bat an eye. He walked right up to one, and their backs were all to us. Walked right up to one of these guys and tapped him on the shoulder. And the guy turned around and Al said, Do you know Jesus Christ? And I'm thinking, oh God, oh God, oh God. (laughs) Let there be a, a patrol car somewhere around. And the man looked square, he squared off and he looked straight down at him and he said, Yes, I do. We're a Christian biker group and we're here having a picnic enjoying the beautiful day that God has given us. And I thought, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. (laughs) Sometimes the places the Lord sends us to minister look hopeless. And they look dangerous. But we need to remember if the Lord sends us there, He's got a plan, He's got a purpose. And whatever it is He has us do, He will see us through. I'm sure that's what was going on in Ananias' mind. As every step he took, he was praying, Oh God, oh God, oh God. And when he got to the house of Judas and he found Saul waiting for them, for him, how relieved he was in spirit and how joyful he was in spirit to find that this once great persecutor of the church had now been saved. Let me tell you another thing that happened just recently. We had a funeral here in the church just this last week for our friend Tim Cochran. And... um, a, couple, a number of years ago, back in 07, when Tim's father died, uh, one of the brothers, one of Tim Cochran's brothers, Jimmy, not this one over there, but another one, had come to the father's funeral, his father's funeral, and he was drunk, and he was loud, and he was very vocal about... Christianity and the Christian church and this, that, and the other sat there on the back pew where Kyle's at back there. And it was everything I could do to contain myself from lashing out at him because he made a mockery of his father's faith. Well, Tim had passed away and in talking with Julie... She told me that Jimmy, who was now in Oklahoma City, and I thought, thank God, he's in Oklahoma City. Jimmy is going to fly out for Tim's funeral. And I thought, oh Lord, here we go again. Here we go again. And so the day of the funeral, I spoke to Pastor Chris and and, um, Tim Payton and Mike and some of the others and told them that Jimmy was going to be here 
and we might expect that he was going to raise a ruckus and he was going to ruin the funeral for his brother. And so we started the service. Well, back up. Before the service started, Jimmy and a whole group of other individuals stayed outside on the lawn over here. And, and I had to go out and tell them that it was time for the service to start in order to get them to come in. And so I, I thought, okay, here we go. And so we came and the service started. And the family wanted an uh, open microphone so people could get up and speak. And I thought, oh, that's not the good thing to do with Jimmy here. Not a good thing to do. But the family wanted it. And I said, okay, we'll do it. And so the time came for the open microphone. And I said, does anybody want to come and speak on behalf of Tim, your experiences and your relationship to him immediately. Jimmy was sitting over here where Warren is sitting. Jimmy is the first one up and he comes up to the microphone over here and I'm thinking, oh God, please, 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 please. And the first thing out of his mouth, he said, y'all, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to repent of your sins and you need to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior like my brother Tim did. And I, th I thought, what? Am I hearing this right? And he went on and he, I mean his whole, it was a testimony to the greatness of Jesus Christ and Tim's faith in the Lord and how the Lord had changed his life and how the Lord had changed Tim's life. Because when they were young fellows here in Winton, um, they were not necessarily nice in the things that they did. After the service was over, I was over here talking to another brother, Anthony. And Jimmy came walking over and I looked at Jimmy and I said, I've got, I've got to talk to you. And he looked and said, what? What did I do? And then he went on to tell me that he was caught in illegal activity as he was making his way across the country. He was busted in Oklahoma City, sent to prison, and it was there he found Jesus in prison. His whole life had changed. And he told me, he said, you know, I have two more years on parole and when parole is over, I'm going back to that prison and I'm going to start a prison ministry in that prison. Sometimes places the Lord sends us seem hopeless and even dangerous. But if it's God who is sending us, then we have to trust that God is going to see us through what it is that he is asking us to do. We need to trust the Lord and his leading in our lives because we have to believe he knows what he's doing. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's the sovereign Lord over all things. Finally, let me just close with this one. In whatever God would have us do, wherever God would have us go, to whomever God would have us minister, listen to me. Because we are all guilty of this. We need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth. And you may very well say, what are you talking about, Pastor? I always speak the truth. No, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we speak part of the truth, but don't speak all of the truth. Sometimes we want to sugarcoat or we want to water down certain aspects of our ministry or our testimony. Think of Ananias. 
Ananias was tasked with a ministry that shook him to the core of his faith. Go to the enemy of Jesus Christ. Go to a man who has arrested and even had fellow Christians killed. Go to a man who is on his way to arrest you and other Christians. I want you to encounter him. I want you to meet him face to face. I want you to lay your hands on him and heal him of his blindness. I want you to tell him that he is my chosen vessel to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. I want you to reveal to him the things that he is going to suffer as a servant in my kingdom. Ananias was called of the Lord to go and to speak the truth to Saul. No matter how negative it sounded, no matter how difficult it would be to hear it and to take it in, you're to speak the truth to this man. Yes, there is a heaven to be gained and there is a hell to lose. Yes, there is eternal life to be, uh, to be had and there is damnation to avoid. Yes, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory in the kingdom of God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not all pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. We need to speak the truth to those whom we are witnessing to. There is also the continual struggle in the repentance of sin. There's a commitment to holiness of character and righteousness of conduct. There is the turning away from worldliness and turning to the will of God. There are trials and temptations that we're going to face in life. There's going to be the testing of our faith and the exercising of spiritual discipline in our life. Sometimes Sometimes the gospel in your life is going to cost you friends and family members and even opportunities in your job or in your schooling. Sometimes it means letting go of personal dreams and goals in order to follow the will of God. It can mean criticism and hardship and suffering and even death to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his prospective disciples, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people will insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And to Saul, through Ananias, he said, You're going to suffer. And that word suffer means painful affliction. You're going to suffer for my name's sake. How would Saul react to this? How would he take the news? Ananias had no clue. He had no idea what Saul's response was going to be. But you know what, dear friends? That's not our concern. That's not our concern, how people will react or respond to the gospel or to our ministry. We do what God tells us to do. We say what God tells us to say. And we leave the rest to Him. We leave the rest to Him. Success and failure are not up to us. They are up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Ananias, 
is an otherwise unknown man to the modern Christian church and its repertoire, if you will, of godly men of faith. But his life teaches us valuable lessons. Be faithful to the Lord in everyday life, every day of your life. Be available to the Lord in all that He asks you to do. And be teachable to new experiences in your life. In other words, be fat in the Lord. Be faithful, be available, be teachable. And that's what we will do as the Holy Spirit works in us and through us to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ in this place, in this community. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.